Hi, I'm Dr. Gemma Newman, also known as the Plant Power Doctor, and I'm your host for the Wellness Edit with Holland and Barrett. In this episode, I am thrilled to be joined by Kat Farmer. And on Instagram, she's also known as Does My Bum Look 40? She is a fashion stylist. You may have seen her on This Morning. She has a podcast and she's followed by nearly 300,000 people on Instagram. Kat's here today with me to talk about her new book, Get Changed, Finding the New You Through Fashion and How Fashion Can Help Empower Us to Be More Confident and Happy, Whatever Our Age or Fashion Style. Welcome, Kat. It's a real pleasure to have you on. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you. And can I also say at that point, actually, it's also whatever your size and whatever your budget. Good. Because lots of people have thought, you know, the first thing I want to say about this book is, okay, well, it doesn't teach you how to dress smaller. It's not how to look smaller at all. That's not the point. It really is just to make the most of what you have, of of the shape and the size that you are, not the shape and the size you once were or the shape and the size you'd like to be. That's a really good distinction because I think a lot of people really strive. Well, I say people, I guess I really mean women. We strive, perhaps, at least in society, I think, to be the smallest size that we've ever been. Yeah. And when we talk about something being flattering, most people assume that means it makes you look slimmer. That's not what it means at all. It basically means to show off the assets that you love most about your body. Yeah. That's what's flattering. It's flattering to your figure, not to the stereotypical figure that we all think society thinks we should be. Thank you for saying that. So so describe that in a bit more detail, because I think that we need to actually dive into that a bit more. So usually when someone says flattering, they probably do mean that they want it to make yeah. you look slimmer. So yeah. what's your perspective yeah. on that? How would how how should we be looking at it differently? I think it's it's the fact that Not everybody is slim. And I I think that's just the weird thing. It's, you know, 99% of the the population strive to look like 3% of the population, which is just ridiculous. You know, women have different shapes and different curves, especially at different times of their lives. And I think, you know, the point that, well, I can never look or feel great unless I'm looking like I'm a perfect size 10 is just ridiculous. And I think that's so often of all the work that I've done over the years, and actually after speaking to so many people having done the book, you know, it was just this revelation that I'm a curvy size 16. I have curves. I've always had curves. That is fine. That is brilliant. And there are ways that you can dress for that, that, you know, outside of what society has always deemed look smaller. You know, there are ways that you can just wear clothes that make your figure look great, whatever your size. Mm, That's good. Oh, I want to hear more about that. But let's, let's, let's go back a bit. Let's backtrack because some people may not be familiar with your work and I would love for you to share with us why it is that you're so passionate about fashion. What influenced you as little cat, as, as, you know, as a young girl and, and why did you take the path that you're on now? I think for me, I mean, I've always loved, loved fashion. I, I love the fact that actually it's not that it makes you, you can be a chameleon, but I think, you know, sort of growing up there were you know, sort of, especially as a teenager, you know, things that you, you wanted to be or roles that you wanted to play. And I think part of that is finding your identity. It's finding a way that, you know, you look in the mirror and think, I actually love the way I look. And that might be, a lot of it is quite tribal. A lot of it is we do want to look like our peers. We want to look like a certain sort of person. And we want to, and actually that is something I do explore in the book about the style tribe aspect. But I think for me, it was always that the, the joy of being able to to look in the mirror and even if you weren't feeling great inside you could actually wear this 
incredible armour uh, that would actually give the rest of the world an impression of you being a different, confident person that actually is you deep down inside, but you just might not be feeling it. So I think that was always sort of what, what drove me. I've always loved, loved, loved fashion. But how I started doing what I was doing was, in fact, weirdly, I had um, a three-year-old, a one-year-old and a newborn. I was mid-30s and I just had to stop working with my third child. I was a headhunter in the city and we'd moved out to the country and I basically, frankly, rocked in a corner. I mean, I didn't, I didn't cope with having three small children very well at all. I didn't, I didn't realise that they wouldn't do what they were told <laughs> for a start. <laughs> Still to this day, it amazes me. I, I, yes, I was like, this is, this is what difficult at work. When I used to ask someone to do something, they do it. Whereas the three-year-old won't do it. And the one-year-old won't sleep. And the baby was just, I don't know. No, I think to be honest, no, no. I think everybody would struggle with three children under three or under four. Seriously, I, four. I remember, I mean, I've, I've had two. I had two sons and there's a three-year age gap between them. And there were times when my youngest was a baby when I just thought, I really wish I was at work right now. When I see yeah. my patients, they listen. <laughs> yeah, yes. It's so true. And I think also at work, I mean, the thing I also found as well, which comes actually into sort of why I ended up doing what I was doing, there's very little concrete validation as a parent you know so I used to say to my my husband used to come back from work really late because at the time he was a junior lawyer and it was you know he was working nuts hours and we also moved out so we had this this long commute as well and I remember saying how's how's your day yeah this 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 and this and I said how's yours and I went well they're all still alive and that basically was if I'd got through the day and they were all still alive that was sort of the only validation that I got you know there's no one saying you've done a great job because you haven't you know there's, there's no 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 you have and this is the thing I love the fact that you had such a low bar for yourself because that's the bar we should all <laughs> aspire to when we've got young children they are all still alive no one burnt down the house no one died we are winning at Tuesday um and and so I I essentially went to see my lovely husband and I had a great GP and I went to, I, I just rang my GP and I just said, all the wheels are falling off. Uh, I just didn't know what to do. I, I just didn't know how to make any of it better or go away or anything. And I, he sent me to see a, an amazing psychiatrist who I basically snotted and cried over for two hours and told him my life story. And at the end of it, I said, this is amazing. Can, can, can you fix me? Can you, what, what medicine do I need? What tablets do I need? And he said, no, not at all, nothing. He said, you are suffering from loss of identity. And I just said, is that an actual thing? And he said, it is an actual absolute thing. It's medically recognised and it's very undiagnosed. It's misdiagnosed often. And he said, you often see it, we're seeing it more and more and more in women who have had careers and who then have given them up. We see it in um, men who uh, retire. Uh, so that's what all the men have got to look forward to. But most women go through it, and wives, <laughs> women go through it at a much, you know, sort of at a, at a younger age because we've worked so hard uh, and we were told that we could have it all. And you get to a point where you you think you've got half of it. You think, I don't, uh, this isn't, this isn't what I planned for. This isn't, this isn't working out. And so I saw a, an amazing psychologist for six months and had extensive CBT. And at the end of it, we we worked out that there were things I could do. I wasn't going to be put out to pasture. And I think that's the other issue as well with, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but certainly when I was at school and university, I was very much of the thought process that the career that you had in your early 20s, the career that you started life with, that was it. You know, that was your career. That was you signed, sealed and delivered forever, which these days isn't the case 
at all. Mm. And I think it's something that, you know, when you have, you know, when you have children, you know, you, you lose so many people lose so much of their self-confidence and it's not necessarily having children. It could be anything. It could have been, I mean, COVID was a massive, what well, I was a wake up call, but it was a, a, a disruptor in many, many people's lives. And that leads to whether it's mental, whether it's physical, it doesn't matter what it is. I think women go through stages of having this life crisis it's you know it, and I think we, we talk about men's midlife crisis but we don't it's not spoken so much about women well yeah that's true because we just get on with it we you know men go and buy fast cars and leave their wives for young women <laughs> and we just crack on <laughs> well yeah I suppose you could look at it that way but and also ironically we have far more physical challenges to contend with when we have our midlife sort of time than men would have you know I think that there's a lot more psychologically mentally physically that we have to go through when our hormones are kind of cascading left right and center and we have to try and deal with that as well which is an interesting conversation yeah and I think we've also already had that I certainly had that after childbirth I was actually pregnant four times in in four years and and you know as my doctor I remember going to see my doctor when I was pregnant with my third and saying I'm really struggling. I feel like 90 years old. And he said to me, what do you expect? <laughs> You've been pregnant four times in three years. Your body is can only do so much. It can only take so much. And I think we just expect, we expect it to be these bionic people that just carry on and, you know, the hormones and the weight loss and the weight gain and, and the, the exhaustion, mm. the tiredness. So I think all these things, we just you know, we 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 are, we physically abuse our bodies. You know, in a natural way, weirdly, but we try and do so much. And and I think mentally, it does take a massive, massive toll. And for me, working and then going into fashion, where I used to work with, and that's what I did. I was a stylist. I had always loved fashion, as I said, and I'd help my friends go to their wardrobes and go shopping and I get them outfits for you know any occasions back to work whatever it might be and a friend of mine said you do know that my my mum my mother-in-law lives in Canada and someone pays her to do this and this is now 12 years ago and I was like no way (laughs) so I thought actually this is what this is what I'm going to do I can actually do something I love while still actually you know contributing to the family making money and that's how it started and that was it was just having been through the experience I'd been through as well then going into other women's wardrobes and all women whatever it might be whether it's a new job after children whether you have a, a change in your domestic circumstances whatever it might be the first the very very first step I still say you know to get yourself back on that road of physical and mental you know health wellness is by looking at, by feeling and looking great yeah. and it's not shallow it's not vain you know the difference that it can make I mean they call it you know the, the, the dopamine levels that you know will change if you look in the mirror and see someone looking back that you love is is huge I think you're right. And that comes from a lot of different things. But I love the way that you said, you know, what you wear can be one of the first practical steps that you take. A lot of the time we sort of think that we have to start deep within and think I need to think of myself as a better person. I need to think myself into feeling beautiful. But actually, if you can put something on that, you know, suits you and you can smile at yourself in the mirror, that is a very tangible step towards feeling better isn't it yeah it's a significant step forward you know it's it's for most people it's actually what enables them to leave the house and actually just feel like 
a better version of themselves that they might be feeling deep down inside. Mm. And I think it's one of those things, it's, it's baby steps. It's, you know, I'll always say this, you know, going through the book, it's not going to change anyone's life overnight, but it's these baby steps. If you keep doing them, you know, if you keep making these steps, suddenly before you know it, you've walked a mile. And again, I say with the building blocks of your wardrobe, you know, start small, start at the very beginning, unless you do have an amazing foundation on which to build a wardrobe. And that is literally clothes that actually fit you. I mean, that's something that amazes me. So many women just don't, they don't buy clothes that fit. Um, I think I need your help. So yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's so true, honestly, it's so true. And all these women that have, you know, I mean, the amount of ladies I know that have wardrobes full of clothes and yet actually nothing to wear, which sounds ironic and it sounds bizarre, but we all know exactly what that phrase means. I do. And I have clothes from different eras of my life that I never threw away. And I convinced myself that I will wear them again once I am that size again. Ah, <laughs> so. uh, yes. The, yes. Well, that's it. That's that's very much, isn't it? That's, you do need to keep clothes in your wardrobe that, that, that fit. And actually, you know, there are, there are tips and tricks in the book that guide you with what to do with those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, yes, you are predominantly looking for a wardrobe of clothes that do actually fit well, that's a simple first step which sounds ridiculously simple but it's quite important <laughs> yeah it's really yeah. so how would you advise somebody that feels they don't really have the time to look fashionable so i think it's not now here's the thing first of all i'm just going to just sort of take that little word fashionable out because it's not about looking fashionable it's about someone looking in the mirror and loving the person that they see looking back. And that, I think, it's not about, it's something's got to give. It's not going to happen overnight. I mean, that's a little bit like saying, well, you know, I want to eat really, really, really healthily. Okay, well, how do I do that? So that it is, you know, sustainable, so that it's cost effective, and so that it's, it's healthy. And I think, you know, something's got to give. It's either going to be time or it's going to be money. It's going to be one of the two. So, even if you, you know, you, you don't have, have the time, you know, and you do want to, to, to spend the money, you, there are people that will come into your house and do it for you. But at the same time, again, I think it is so cathartic and personally therapeutic to do it yourself. And, you, and also make it enjoyable. You know, when you do have free time, get a girlfriend around, get a glass of wine, get the best chocolates or cups of tea, get the best coffee that you want, whatever <laughs> it might be that floats your boat, and do it together. I need you in my actually, life, Kat. That is it. I need you to come over with chocolate and wine <laughs> <laughs> and get me excited. <laughs> in it, but, but do you know what? And you will find things in your wardrobe that you never knew you had. And sometimes as well, if someone does, it takes someone else with a different eye to say you say oh that old thing they're like oh hang on a minute you can wear that with da 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 so you know it's it's if the as I say they're not rules in the book but they are guidelines of how to how to de-stress declutter your wardrobe go through it and then I mean right you don't go shopping until you're right at the end of the book because you will need to buy significantly less if you know, you know the shape that you do, you understand your shape, which is a really important thing. You know, you understand that you're dressing for the lifestyle that you have, not the lifestyle that you want. We do want wardrobes of clothes that we will actually wear, not full of black tie dresses that we might wear once every three years. It's finding those things that work for your style as well, making sure that you put an outfit on and you think, I love this. So really... We were coming back to it being a proper act of self-care. We talk about wellness on the wellness earlier, but this is self-care, isn't it? Oh my gosh, it's entirely that. I mean, when we spoke to people about the book, I said, yeah, the book is theoretically about fashion, but fashion to me is just putting clothes on your body. But it's everyone deserves to look great. 
everyone deserves to look in the mirror and love the person that they see looking back at them. Life is too short not to. And everyone can do it. But people don't feel that they have the confidence. They don't feel that they are able to make those decisions. Lots of it in the book is about trying to regain and trust your gut instinct. Mm, interesting. Which people have lost. I remember, I remember years ago, a lovely lady saying to me, um, I said, right, look in the mirror. What do you think? She went, I don't know. I said, well, you do. What's your gut instinct? What's your first impression? So she said, oh, I don't, my gut instinct's broken. I said, it's not broken. I said, you just haven't, you're so used to not using it. And you've, you know, whether it's your, you've asked your, whether it's your husband giving his opinion or, I mean, God forbid, a teenager, or sometimes, you know, a not particularly helpful friend, whatever it might be, you know, so many women have had their confidence whittled away that they just look in the mirror and they don't they don't actually recognise whether or not it's something that they love. But you do. And there, there are lessons in the book and just some slight, some slight tips on how to on how to regain that. Because, again, you know, once you've got that, that is it's all going back to the self-care. It's all these building blocks of confidence internally that will do you so much good mentally. And it comes down to, you know, it's not just about fashion. I think that's really insightful what you said, because many women, in my experience, will seek the opinions of other people before they ask themselves, because it's a way of seeking validation from the world. And it shows a lack of confidence, I think, as well in, who, in your own opinion or, or even wanting to trust your own opinion. Do you think that's a woman thing? I, I know. I do think men have it as well. I definitely definitely think men have it as well but I think the difference is I think in our society you know women are allowed to not allowed to fall apart but it's almost expected you know if you do fall apart it's it's an expected an expected thing whereas I think you know it's very very black and white men possibly aren't allowed to feel that I mean I know so much is spoken about men's mental health issues you know being so much more much precarious than women because it's expected you know, women, as I say, you know, when I, when my expectation when I went to see my psychiatrist all those years ago was just give me the tab, give me the pills. That's, you know, that, that's what women have. And I think that's, I don't know whether that's um, a demographic, uh, sorry, um, a generational thing. I, I don't know. But I think that the dial is changing. I think, you know, we need to be so much more aware that, you know, it's not stiff upper lip, you know, men and women, I think, fundamentally have the same confidence psyche issues. I don't know. I, I do think women perhaps, though, are crueler to other women, dare I say, with regards to getting dressed. Many women will seek, other, will seek female validation for how they look rather than male validation. Hmm. You talked about the role of fashion in forming identity and self-esteem and confidence, but also the difference between, broadly speaking, men and women and how they approach fashion. Um, I've got a friend who says that she doesn't wear a certain nail colour because her husband doesn't like it. I've got another friend who says that her husband prefers her not in florals, so she tends to wear plain colours, not necessarily plain as in bland, but just kind of not patterned. Mm. And then I've also got other friends who say, oh, I, I, my husband only ever wears what I tell him to wear because he has no idea and I like what I like. And I'm thinking, is there an, like, an element in relationships where fashion can play a part in sort of forming those kind of healthy bonds with each other and what you find attractive? And also an element of control both female or male? And how, how do people deal with that? I don't think there's anything intrinsically wrong with that, so long as, not saying you don't mind, but it's it's one of those things. And I think, I think you know, like, for example, my husband doesn't love 
leopard print. Do I not wear it? No, not even close. But I wear it all the time. But if we're going out for dinner, will I put on a head to toe leopard print dress? Well, no, because why would you want someone to sit opposite you? And I've got lots of other dresses to wear. So I think that is a way of, I mean, is that a level of control? So I think there are probably layers in this. And I think it probably is only an issue is when it's symptomatic of other things in the relationship. But again, that's not something that I have any experience of. But I think from a I'm just trying to think, it's more like my children, actually. You know, they know when we go out for dinner, for example, please don't wear that T-shirt that I absolutely loathe because I, and they're like, fine, I don't mind, mum. And basically, I just, I just actually don't like the T-shirt. I really don't like the T-shirt. It's not very nice. No, it's not a nice T-shirt. And he's got much much nicer T-shirts. So he will know, and he's like, we're going out. Oh, I'll change. Oh, thank you, darling, because, you know, I don't don't love it. Um, And if I, I think I would never wear anything, for example, to embarrass my children. If they they were very embarrassed by something, I wouldn't wear that. But I think there's an element, I think the difference comes down to whether it's respect and control, I think, in fashion. And I think it's knowing that differentiation. If, you know, if that is, and for example, as well, if you did wear, if your friend was to wear a dress and flowers, you know, what would he do? Would he be like, I don't love the dress? Probably nothing. So I think that's that's a significant thing. You know, if you were to breach the, you know, breach the boundaries of, of, of what they said they like and they don't like, you know, I think it's, I think it's just, it's just one of those things. I mean, I think it comes down to in, in a relationship, I think there is definitely give and take. And I think it's, it's very like, you know, do I, you know, sometimes you'll have dinner, for example, and it will be, I don't know, let's say stir fry. Do I love a stir fry? Not particularly. Would it be my first choice of food? No. If my husband says, I really fancy a stir fry, we'll have stir fry. I I don't mind. If, however, it was, you know, he was going to make something with baked beans, which I detest, (laughs) he wouldn't make it for me because he knows I really, 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 really don't like it. So I think, again, it's about mutual respect more so than, than, than control. I think, and also the difference I also think comes if you have nothing in your wardrobe that your husband doesn't like, then I think I, I would question that. I would question that unless you're with your husband 24-7. If there's something that you love, then I don't know why you, you know, will wear it, but just don't necessarily wear it out with your husband. That I get. Yeah. Do you know what? I do get, I don't think there's anything necessarily control that, so long as it's not indicative of something more sinister. Yeah, I really like that answer. And I'm also really loving your food analogies that you've come back to. That's really helpful for me. <laughs> do, do you know what? That's why we did the, that. Honestly, as I was writing the book, trying to explain it in simple terms, that for me was coming back to, to food because it's food something, even if you don't cook, it's something that you understand. So for me, example, so going back to the style, you know, find it, why would you find your fashion icon? Why is that so important? And my analogy in the book is, it's like going into a supermarket and saying, right, well, what should we eat for dinner? I mean, where do you start? You know, you normally think, okay, and you know, you'll say, this is actually what my husband does to me. Okay, so do, do you want um, Chinese? Do you fancy Italian? Do you fancy Indian? Do you fancy English food? Do you fancy sushi? What, what, and I'm like, oh, actually, oh no, I fancy, I fancy something. I fancy, oh, I fancy something about tapasi. Okay, fine. Well, let's go down it. Do you want fish tapas? Do you want prawn, you know, vegetable tapas? Do you want um, vegetarian tapas? Do you want meat? Do you want charcuterie? What? So I think once you then narrowed it down, suddenly everything becomes easier and you've got a much smaller selection from which to pick Mm. so you're making less mistakes that makes a lot of sense i have heard so many different fashion rules in inverted commas 
And I wonder if it stems from just people, uh, yeah, where does that come from, do you think? All these different roles that people feel they have to abide by. Gosh, I think a lot of it is probably historical, that women of a certain age should should then have a level of decorum to them. I mean, you've only got to watch things like Downton Abbey to realise, I mean, obviously that's that's, that's so true to life. Um, But, you know, you watch something like that and and to realise that years ago, you know, women of a certain age were supposed to be you're the sensible ones. You know, you're the sensible, you're mature, you're wise, you know, you're the dowager, you are, you know. And I, and I think that with that came a level of, it's a little bit boring, mm. it's a little bit dull. And I think over the years, that has slowly, slowly been whittled away. And I think also my favourite thing about, you know, sort of looking at age and style and image and what's appropriate and what's not. And actually, interestingly, they were sort of one of the early, earlier people that I remember growing up that sort of, broke the mould for how older people should act. And that was the Golden Girls. So you look at Blanche in the Golden Girls. I don't know if you remember the Golden Girls. You're probably way too young <laughs> to remember the Golden Girls. I don't remember the Golden Girls, but I've heard of the Golden Girls. So, so right. expand, expand for me so I can understand. The Golden Girls were these four old ladies. And basically when we were young, they were old ladies. Four old ladies who uh, live together. And it's not, I want to say it's a, it's not a retirement home, but they live in Florida, which makes it even worse. Everyone presumes it's a retirement home. And they are, and three of them are sort of, you know, quite, um, uh, you know, they, they sort of matured gracefully, shall we say. And one of them is absolutely no intention of maturing gracefully at all. But they still do look like what I think our perception, sort of my generation's perception of a old lady is. Yes. But the They've got, you know, they've got the grey. Oh, it's Betty White. Got Betty short White hair. was one of the Golden Girls. Yes. I remember. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And Betty White looked the same when she's the Golden Girls as she did when she started. I mean, she's, she looked exactly the same. They have that white sort of, not permed hair, but, you know, that sort of closely, like, nana yes. hair. It's basically, it's like old nana hair. And they wore, you know, sort of sensible-ish. They were. They were, I mean, even Blanche, you know, she did still wear sensible clothes. They are actually, when they started filming The Golden Girls, they are the same age as when they filmed, just like that, the um, Sex and City remake. Wow, that's really interesting. And they are, I mean, you look at them, you know, and that is how I think we as a society have moved and have adapted and have grown with our, you know, expectations of what a woman can and should look like, not should, can look like in their 50s. They don't need to look like they are one step away from the retirement home. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's so it's so true. People say you're only as young as you feel, but also you feel uh, a lot different when you're wearing something that's kind of bland or makes you feel old than when you're yeah. wearing something vibrant or that makes you feel energetic. <laughs> Change it just one dress at a time. Mm. Just one tiny thing at a time. Well, I did start wearing sparkly trainers to work, which is quite the revelation. <laughs> There we go, you see. And did anybody actually die in front of you? I had an old man tell me he loved my shoes. <laughs> there we go, you see? You see, so it's all in your head. Honestly, it's all in your head. I think, And I think also, you probably, from what you're saying as well, you probably, it's probably a real hangover from being, you know, I in my head still think I'm 26. I don't think I'm 49. So it's, and I used to, when I used to go to school, you know, I remember my daughter saying to me once, why don't you look like all the other mums in the playground? I said, do. Of course I do. Thinking she might say I was loads younger. I was. I, I was. Oh, right. And she said, um, no, you don't. You dress differently. I said, don't dress differently. I looked round. I was like, oh, actually, I'm the only one not in an anorak. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I don't. 
she didn't really mind. And I just said, well, and I said to her, does it bother you? She said, no, she's not really, not really. I like what you wear. And I said, okay, that's fine then. That's, that's, that's great. That's, that's great. But I think it is that, so, you know, and I think there is a, people want to fit in and you want to look like it. But I think, I think try it. You've done the sparkly trainers, give the dress I a will. go. I Go will. On. I might start. I Go might start on. wearing my um, <laughs> my multicolored chakra mala. <laughs> See what happens. Okay, maybe a step too far. Maybe a step too far. But uh, you know, one step, one step at a time. One step at a time. I'll try a different dress. <laughs> yes, try a different uh, dress. I think that that would probably. Well, work. you know what? This has been so funny, and I think I love what you said about your daughter as well, because you you know you, you've talked about getting older and how you still feel twenty six, even though you're not twenty six anymore. Tell me, I mean, do your children let you kind of dress them in terms of what you think would suit them, or has there been any kind of friction around that? God no. Oh my! God. The, the only real friction was when my daughter was 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 really was really small, and and that I mean she and she will now thank the Lord say yeah I sort of see where you're coming from. She I mean she was I I you know all these, these dresses and these beautiful you know I had this beautiful I remember little patent kickers which are probably. I, I appreciate really uncomfortable. And I remember all she wanted to wear were these Hello Kitty wellies um, <laughs> and leggings and a top. And I say to her, okay, fine, but bless her. She was, we come from, we come from sturdy jeans. We're, we're, we're good sturdy jeans. And so she's, so she would wear these leggings and then I'd say, okay, and with it, with just like a vest, a top. And I'd say, okay, you need to wear something else, like a skirt or shorts or something, because basically you've got tights and a top on. <laughs> She'd say, no, these are, these are trousers. I said, well, they're not trousers. They're like, they're like tights without any feet in. They're leggings. You can't wear just leggings and, and a top. I could actually see your stomach. I was quite, no, this is fine. This is fine. Okay, whatever. You'll be fine. You'll be, and I just say, you'll be cold. She doesn't like being cold. It's like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll put something on. And it's so funny, years. She'll say to me now, why did you let me go out with nothing else on? I was like, oh my Lord, I tried to tell you, but you were six, you were having none of it. So yeah, so that's probably the only, only time. But she's actually, to be fair, I mean, you know, she, she's now, she's very, very into her vintage. She loves her vintage. She loves charity shop. I've done, I've done my job. I think one job in, in, in making sure that she's not shopping and buying new things that turn up in plastic bags that cost Five ninety nine and get worn once and never seen yeah. again. So no, she's 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 very 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 um, hot on the whole sustainable element. Definitely, well, that's good. And I think you, I think a lot of the younger generation are, which is so encouraging. I feel um, yes. So yeah, I, I'm looking back on my childhood. I just used to wear whatever my mum told me to wear, and I look back at photographs and I, <laughs> I I do sometimes wonder what she was thinking. It was the eighties, and then we had these sort of I had these swirly white and red trousers with this kind of. Bob Marley-esque hoodie. I don't know where she found these outfits, <laughs> but I just used to wear them. Sounds very... I, I, yeah, I just used to wear them and, I, you know, I, I know I was never bothered, but it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because some children have really sort of fixed ideas about what they like and what they think that they want to yeah. wear. Yeah, and my, I've got two boys as well, and they again, they are they're they're really good. They like their trainers. They don't. They're, no, they they they're guide they're guided. They're not and they're not ridiculous. You know, they they don't hold they don't hold any truck in any sort of big labels at all they're they're not like that mm. at all which is That's good. yeah I mean touch wood yeah so you talked about your kids and you talked about getting older these are kind of important life stages I think perimenopause yeah. menopause teenage years as well we also use food as an analogy and when you're talking about fashion tell me a bit more about 
your family, like your teenagers, exam stress and nutrition and and for you as well, like coming up to the perimenopause, has anything changed for you in your routines, both your routine and your, your children's routine with these life stages? Me personally, things like, for example, I started getting horrendous, the old um, horrendous uh, spots. I used to have horrendous um, hormone spots, which are, they're like those sort of boils under the skin. I mean, they are absolutely hideous because it doesn't you can't it's, even if you cover them up it's like I've got Vesuvius on the side of my face and they're really it's still painful sore, isn't it you can cover it up but it still oh hurts my... to move your mouth <laughs> it still hurts and you can also see there's like some sort of mound on the side of my face <laughs> doesn't matter it's just not red it's just a white mound amazing flesh-colored mound but it's so sore so they have totally gone I had I had horrendously itchy skin for a while that again is gone so I think there are things that they but I found personally with 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 my diet it's I almost crave the fresh fruit and the fresh vegetables that is I think the biggest intrinsic intrinsic part of my diet as well as I sort of balance them out with sort of carbs and protein but to me you know the fruit bowl is full and that's I think as the children get older I will encourage them. We've, we've actually stopped buying just because I've got two boys who are dustbins. So we don't, I, th- I find the easiest way to encourage them to eat healthily is just to not buy the mm. stuff. True. Don't have it in the house. Um, I think our, our nod to, you know, sort of junk food to fill up on is, is, is cereal, cereal or bread. You know, we're Irish, so you can tell there's lots of bread. But cereal, cereal and bread, but it's fruit. You know, I'm, I'm very conscious. I sound like my mom. I'm hungry. Have fruit. Oh, I'm not that hungry. Well, <laughs> I you're not hungry myself. then, are you? I'm hungry. Have an apple. I'm hungry. Have a banana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, But my, my daughter actually is, it's quite tricky. She's a celiac. She was diagnosed 11 years, 12 years ago now. So that... That's that's been a, an interesting ride over the past over the past twelve years. Um, but I think it's fortunate she was diagnosed so young, so she doesn't really know any different. She can't remember any different. She was young, yeah. How old was she then when she was diagnosed? Wow, she's really young, six. Yeah, she's eighteen in September. She was diagnosed when she was just literally just turned six. And what would you, what did you notice that led to that diagnosis? She had well, she. I mean, I. I feel guilty, so, so guilty thinking back because she was born on the 91st percentile and she was, her weight was on the 75th percentile. And by the time I sort of thought, I don't know, something's not quite right. As in, you're not that big. It's after a summer holiday that we'd gone back to school and someone said, oh my Lord, who's the tiny new girl? And I said, what tiny new girl? And they said that. I said, oh, she's got the same lunchbox as Hetty. And they said, I said, no, that is Hetty. And they're like, what? She's tiny. And you know, sort of when they're little, everyone else grows. And she just, and I thought, this is, that she shouldn't be that small. And she'd gone from the 91st percentile of height down to the 7th percentile. And from the 71st percentile of weight to, she wasn't even on the charts. But it was so gradual that I just hadn't noticed. Mm. You know, my husband's got four sisters and they're all really petite. And we just thought, oh, well, Maybe she's she's petite because she was eating. She was absolutely fine. But then actually, and it suddenly went within sort of the space of three weeks. I thought, oh, I'll keep an eye on it. And she started being uh, very sick, actually. So she'd go to a party and she'd come home and throw up. And of course, you'd think, well, that's because you've been to a party, isn't it? And you've eaten a load of rubbish. But actually, on reflection, it was everything she was eating was totally gluten based so sandwiches biscuits cakes i mean it was just a gluten fest mm. and and she'd be really sick and then we noticed that her arms started being really downy she had really downy arms and a little pot belly I and mean, she'd always she was always constipated from being a baby wow. from being a baby and i just 
it was all these things. I suddenly thought, these, I, I don't know, this doesn't really add up. And she's very, very pale. But again, she's always been really, really pale. She's very Irish jeans, very pale hair, very, very dark, uh, pe- sorry, pale skin, very dark hair. And we took her to the doctors and the doctor took one look at her and I went with my list. And I said, he said, okay, fine. Just did a check and he said, okay, fine. Uh, she's see a pediatrician tomorrow. And I was like, what? Mm. He said, she's going to see a pediatrician tomorrow. And I said, okay. So he went to see the pediatrician and he asked me, first thing he asked me was, checked her over and said, um, is anyone in your family Irish? So I said, uh, yes, I'm half, my mum's Irish and my husband, both his parents are Irish. So he said, brilliant. He said, does anybody in your family die of bowel or stomach cancer? And I said, oh my Lord, so my husband's family, all of them. I said, she died of bowel. And he went, okay, fine. He said, I'm absolutely convinced she's a celiac. Mm. And I was like, okay, brilliant. And I said, if it's not that, what is, what, what could it be? And he said, we don't, we don't go there yet because it literally said it's two things. It's either, she'll either have, it's either that or she'll no doubt have a cancer. So it was fine. So she was, um, she had a blood test there and then which takes 10 days unfortunately they can't do any I don't know whether they can now but back then they could it took 10 days regardless of where or when you sent it and then she had a um endoscopy and that was it and they, they diagnosed wow. it then. what a journey that she went on at such a young age yeah so many people that I will say if they say oh my son's got this I'm like go and get a blood test for celiac mm. lots of doctors don't it's not their first I think unless you've sort of seen or had experience of it it's not their first um call of diagnosis but actually it's 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 free for the nhs to treat totally free we used to get things on prescription but don't we don't need to anymore no. and it's it's a, it's a very simple blood test now just at least as a screening tool yeah it's not the gold standard for diagnosis but often it's enough to be able to lead you on that path towards knowing exactly what's going yes. on so it's really important and yeah thank you for sharing yeah. that because i yeah. think you know many people will will be in the same boat as you there was no need to feel guilty because you don't tend to notice things that happen so yeah. slowly over time as well. It's it's uh, it's yes. much easier to notice when you haven't seen someone for a while or there's that sort of uh, distance. Yeah. But the other thing I will say as well, we the thing I've learned over the years as well is that actually the CLEP diagnosis, especially in children, is so different to all of them. So it could be, you know, that I mean, you know, everyone always says, you know, they've got fluffy poo, uh, they've got diarrhoea, whereas actually it could be, the opposite, it, 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 there are so, it needn't necessarily be a checklist. Yeah. There are so many different elements that it could present yeah. as. So it's, I, I always think it's something worth flagging because as you say, it's just a blood test. It's so easy to rule it exactly. out. Oh, Kat, it's been so fabulous. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's gone in oh, so many different you. directions that are really interesting and fascinating. Um, I'll try and round things up a little bit now because we've uh, we've used up all of your time. But, you know, this is the wellness edit. So let's get back to kind of rounding things off with a kind of wellness yes. question. We talked a lot about why fashion is so much more than fashion trends. It's about identity. What does wellness really mean to you? is the first part of the question. And then whilst you're thinking about what that means, the second part is, what do you do regularly to feel more like you? I think for me, wellness, I think it's definitely, is divided into two parts. I think, and I think they are both of equal importance. It's mental and physical. And I think... If you have, you know, if, if you if you are unsuccessful in one, you need to be successful. You need, you, they need to be balanced. There's nothing. It doesn't matter how, you know, mentally well you are. If physically, you know, you're you're not looking after yourself and you don't you don't feel well physically, then it doesn't matter how mentally how well how well mentally stable you are. And I think the other way around as well. You know, if you're not feeling, you know, if you feel really really ill, then actually, you know. But I think actually, having said that, one can actually 
improve the other. But I think it is, it, they are both of equal importance. And I think, what do I do? I'm really conscious of both of them. You know, I've been fortunate, touch wood, to be surrounded by people who have been very aware of mental issues. And, you know, luckily, again, touch wood, physically, I've always been, I've never had any significant issues. But I think it's just being aware and thinking that you have to put fuel in the engine for it to actually work. I think that's the important thing, I think, you know, and it is as important to look after your physical and your mental health as it is anything else, because without them, nothing's going to work. You're not going anywhere. So I think probably to round that up, you'd say one of the wellness must-haves for you is the understanding that you've got to put fuel in the engine to make sure that you're actually able to do the things you want to do in life. And in terms of fashion, I guess be yourself and know yourself. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. You deserve to look in the mirror and love the person you see looking back at you. Yeah, that's a really, really lovely way to round things off. Thank you, Kat. So what did you think of that conversation? I found it to be really insightful and it went in lots of interesting directions that I wasn't expecting. Kat was so enthusiastic, so knowledgeable and so much fun. But she also really helped me to understand that fashion is definitely not something frivolous. That is actually a way of discovering more of who you are and of expressing yourself, but also in showing yourself in the best light that you want to show to the world. So I found that really interesting. If you enjoyed it and you think your friends will, do share it with them and let us know, as always, what you think. And I really look forward to our next episode where we'll be talking to another great guest about how to fit wellness into your day. And do remember as well that you can find all the episodes of The Wellness Edit on your favourite podcast platform and via the Holland & Barrett website at hollandandbarrett.com. Thanks for joining me and I'll see you again next time. All views are those of our guests and not Holland and Barrett, unless explicitly stated otherwise. Any reference to brands and or products should not be considered as an endorsement.